At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where we have one simple goal each and every week. And that is to inspire you to get outside and enjoy the great outdoors, whether that's trying something new, doing something you've you've never done before, but in a different way, any number of things. We don't really care. As long as you guys get outside, we feel like we've done your job. And if you're sitting at home right now or if you're on your commute to work, which is how most of you guys listen to this, then we're trying to bring you the outdoors when you yourself can't be out there. So welcome back to the show. My name is Walt. I am flying solo, I should say. On this episode, Chase had some uh, family matters to tend to. He normally takes off a week right before deer season to kind of get his mind right because heavy is the crown that kills uh, multiple hundred inch deer in Florida. So uh, he kind of has to get his heads, you know, his headspace right before <laughs> the season kicks off. And we are right there on the brink of deer season. As I record this, we are days away. We are in the single digits from the Georgia deer season, and that means. Florida Zone C opens up a few days after that, and I could not be more excited. However, with that being said, I also feel woefully unprepared. It seems like every year, no matter how hard I try to get plugged in, get ahead of that to-do list, that to-do list that I told you guys about in a previous episode, it only goes so far because time is limited, and as you guys know, I've got an infant here at the house, and he is amazing. Love that dude to death, but he definitely has put a cramp on my scouting plans. But that's okay, because if you relate to that, this episode is actually going to be for you guys. I sit down with my good friend, Bo Lees, uh, who expressed just the other day a similar sentiment, that he felt like he was behind, that uh, there was more he could have done in the off season, and, and we were discussing how each of us were going to address that issue. And so about halfway through that conversation, I was like, bro, 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 we're getting on the phone, and we're going to do a, a podcast on this because this topic is all too good. So a uh, little bit of flashback history. Bo Lease is a South Georgia uh, resident. He chases all manner of animals with the stick bow, with the exception of turkey, which he is an adamant shotgun user in that regard. But uh, he is a Warren Womack disciple. He loves 
loves chasing deer on feed trees, and he loves journaling. If you recall, he was the guy that got me into journaling during turkey season, and now subsequently has gotten me into deer hunting journaling. And that's where today's topic is going. We're going to talk about how you can use previous year's successes or failures to set yourself up for success in the current year by going back to your journals, going back to those historical trends that uh, can always be there to help you make those decisions when you feel unprepared. And uh, Bo and I also talk about how we utilize in-season scouting, especially on the beginning of the year, to set ourselves up for success during the rut, during postseason. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Now, before we get to that, we do have to thank the people who make this show possible. First and foremost, that's our Patreon subscribers. These guys sign up to contribute money to the show on a monthly basis. That money goes to us doing more. More giveaways, more traveling, more out-of-state filming, more in-person podcasts. That's what this money goes towards. Uh, it, it just allows us to bring you guys greater things and bigger capacity, and we are and fully indebted to all the different people who have signed up. And in the last six to eight weeks, the growth has been tremendous. Uh, we've got to thank a couple people here, Rob Seibert, Mark Ortolani, and Kyle Snookin. I uh, hope I didn't mess up any of you guys' names. You know I'm terrible about that. But, uh, yeah, thanks to all you guys for uh, signing up to support the show. If you're unfamiliar, uh, what you can do is you can join our 5 or $10 tier. That money, like I said, goes right into production costs. We don't make any money off this show. And uh, depending on your tier, you can get free hats, free stickers, obviously a shout out on the podcast. You can also get added to our digital deer camp. So what is digital deer camp? It is a Marco Polo group where we video chat about a whole variety of topics. And it is also a discord group. Now, many of you may not know what discord is, but it's something new that we just rolled out the past couple weeks. And while we worked out the kinks, I didn't really want to spend a whole lot of time broadcasting it to you guys. But think about it like an old school forum with a modern twist. It is delineated by subject category, so the conversation's easy to, to navigate through. And uh, if there's a category that needs to be added, we add it all the time. And so it, it, this is available to all the tiers. It's a great way for you to meet up with new hunters in your area, which is how it's currently being utilized by several of our members. It's a great way to share deer hunting tips and gear talk. I mean, we, we have a guy that's doing a video right now on uh, how to refill his thermocell cartridges, and we've got another fellow who's going to show us his rifle build. And so no matter what you're interested in, We've got a subgroup for you inside that Discord group, and it's just one of the ways that we want to say thanks to you guys for uh, always supporting the show. Of course, I have to mention that every quarter we give away a piece of gear, a couple pieces of gear, and this time we are giving away a Vortex rangefinder. Uh, you still have a couple weeks to get in on that, so if you sign up before September 30th, you get entered into that giveaway. We'll do another one from the period October to December. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's overwhelming the amount of support that we're, we're getting over there. Um, I, I, it, the community is awesome. I, I can't believe what we have assembled a group of people of like-minded people to the degree that we have. And it's just awesome having that community. So if you want to be a part of that community, if you want to be part of that education, uh, that's happening over there and you want to support the show, check it out. Patreon.com forward slash chasing tales outdoors. The link is in the show notes as well. Uh, also, we got to thank Spartan Forge. Now, Spartan Forge is where artificial intelligence and actual data meet to make you a better deer hunter. This is not going to tell you exactly what tree stand to sit in, but it's going to take millions of data points that have been scrubbed clean to come up with predictions based on every measurable data you, you could come up with, whether that's the moon phase, the weather phase period of the rut that we're in, what direction the wind's going, it's going to help you make decisions based on your in-person scouting and 
actual trends that we can observe live deer in the wild doing. So check it out, SpartanForge.com. They have an app coming out this month that is going to blow your socks off. And if you sign up today and use the promo code CHASINGTAILS, all caps, you can save 25% on your subscription and lock in that price for life. $20 a year for this app moving forward. It is going to be remarkable. Check them out, SpartanForge.com. Also, we got to thank the people over at Tethered, man. You guys know that we are huge saddle hunters. I just got some of their new 8mm ropes and their Predator XL. Uh, those 8mm ropes are ridiculously small. They take a lot of the bulk of my setup, as bulky as a saddle setup can be. It makes it even smaller, and that's, that Predator XL for those all-day sits is going to be amazing. Which is That platform is even remarkably light for the fact that it's 40% larger than the regular, regular Predator. So check it out over there at TetherNation.com if you are interested. So, uh, guys, I, I am excited to get you guys to this episode. Chase will be back soon. I appreciate you guys tuning in for my lengthy intro. You know, you guys know how wordy I can be. But uh, I appreciate what each and every one of you have done. We had a world record all-time high downloads in the month of August. And it's because you guys are spreading the word of Chasing Tales. And I appreciate each and every one of you for contributing in whatever fashion it took to get us Ladies to that Ladies and gentlemen, point. So I am let's spread on the, the word phone with the about Chasing Tales all the way across the, the uh, southeast chances are and across the U.S. Chances are if you've had a big year on camera, with you've that, been watching I'm going to send you guys off to the, the year, And then suddenly he goes missing. It's because the fellow on the lines probably shot it with a trad bow. Uh, in a loincloth with homemade cane arrows and 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 flint napped, hand napped uh, broadhead. Did did I get all that right? I, you told me to hit I, it in a certain order. You say that, and I'm, I'm I'm ordering all these new fancy bows, so I feel like I'm going to lose some some premise this year when my videos come out. Um, I think we talked earlier about my, my French bow that's on the way here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, the unfortunate thing is now that you've admitted that, I think your um, your Instagram uh, profile has just taken a hit. You should see, I think, at least a marketed decline in subs. I, I'll just I'll just tag Snyder and everything, and I'll pick them all back up on the other <laughs> end of the claim there. I'm pretty much building the bow he, he made famous, so yeah. we'll see how it works out. <laughs> well, I mean, just the hashtag struggle sick and you're set, right? I mean, that's how it exactly. works. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, I, may, I may even get the hat. Who knows? <laughs> we, we can put the Chasing Tails logo on the front of it, and I'll put, I'll put the struggle stick on the back when I turn it around. There you go. Help us both out. <laughs> Oh, I have got the infamous Bo Lease on the phone, dude. Uh, you have not been on the podcast since about this time last year. Uh, what's what's new in your world? How did your deer season go uh, last fall? Uh, the, the deer season went it went well. It started out with a bang. Um, I, I don't kill many deer during bow season mainly because it's just hot, I, I, and I like to watch a bunch. But uh, I uh, I started out with a bang. I killed uh, my biggest buck with a longbow, which was nothing. I mean, by any means, super spectacular. It's a 110 inch deer. Uh, but uh, I was able to get most of it on film. And uh, he was a deer I actually didn't have history with, which was a very big rarity on my private property. But uh, from there, uh, I ended up killing uh, my 14th deer, which will probably be the last year of my recurve after the limb twisted um, with it uh, on public land on a place I grew up hunting. It was actually the first place I ever hunted. Uh, my dad took me when I was, uh, I was actually four years old comically and uh we uh we hunted that morning he laughed so we were in the stand 10 minutes to me it felt like we were in there 10 hours and uh <laughs> we crossed the road and the game warden pointed at me in my you know orange vest and like army fatigues camo standing up in the seat and goes don't let him out of the truck and you know this is in the 80s my dad had no clue that uh under 16 was not allowed on the wma except for an <laughs> adult child and so he's like, oh yes we're not he's not getting out of the truck we hunted all morning so. <laughs> but uh yeah i killed one there with, with a bunch of I, I call it my old guy hunt um it's a bunch of guys that are trad they're a lot older than me and then uh 
I uh, I broke down and broke out the boomstick, man. And uh, wow. I, uh, I went to work on the girls. Uh, I think I, I ended up with seven total. So uh, I did I did have an opportunity for my biggest buck ever. Um, I guess I sent you the footage of it. I got some great footage of him, but uh, didn't uh, didn't quite kill him. Um, I think my wife thought I was going insane because I was running a cell camera and I was actually running Spartan Forge at the time. And it was comical when the deer would exit the home range section, I would get a picture of him on my cell camera. And uh, I woke up 2.30 in the morning, rolled with my wife and said, I'm going to my lease an hour away and I'm going after him. And uh, rode the whole way over there, was set up two and a half hours before daylight. Deer walked in before the sun crested and uh, he uh, he caught my wind. I was, I was holding a very fine wind and he crossed it right as I was getting ready to draw. And uh, that was all that big guy took, and he took off. But the footage was good, so that's always, that's always <laughs> a plus, right? My uh, my father didn't see it that way, and my buddies over here gave me a lot of crap about it. But, uh, yeah, at least I got some footage of him. So, and he made it. So I actually have him on uh, on camera right now. The, the only car pull I've pulled this year, um, I'm pretty sure I, it's him I have on camera right now. So, And he, uh, he, he looks spectacular. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well – you know, if it's not on footage, it's not real. I had so much, so much fun last year, uh, almost documenting my adventures. <laughs> One of which you and Robbie were kind enough to come out there and help me uh, scavenge, and, and actually afterwards, weeks afterwards, you guys went out there trying to find that deer. But uh, you know, some things just don't work out. But uh, you, you, you gave me a good tip on that deer, and I, I got, I got that hunt again this year, and. We're gonna be, we're gonna be, uh, dude. We're gonna be sharing deer camp this year. I mean, you might not be in our camp, but we're gonna be hunting the same WMA this year. I, I actually, I was, uh, I had dinner with my wife tonight. while so we're doing this a little bit later, and uh, I, I told her I was like, yeah, and I was like, Robbie was actually there with me tonight, and I told him I said, yeah, I said, uh, Walt's gonna be in camp because, yeah, I'm gonna be dragging a deer out. Uh, he said, uh, is dinner gonna be a little bit late? And I said, I'll, I'll let Walt know he's got to cook a little bit later for you to uh, drag your deer out. So he's already started a little bit of smack talk there. He. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he he's actually going in the morning to scout again he's he you know he bow season that's his big place so it's going to be exciting to see what uh, i'm kind of i mean i'm anxious for him this year he's put in more work there than i think i've ever seen him put in work so and he's found some, he's found some good stuff this year uh i was picking him that i may end up having to uh i may have to steal a couple spots from him during both season because i'm so far behind right now well i i think far behind is the norm for everyone that i know uh, myself included. I'm speaking for myself. I, I know that in our Patreon group, which is rapidly picking up speed because deer season's here close. Um, every the theme has always been like as much pre- preparation as we as we've put into it, we still feel underwhelmed uh, or unprepared, I should say. And I kind of feel similarly, but uh, I feel like of all people, I have a pretty decent excuse. That is, uh, my son <laughs> was born this year, and that has effectively killed my entire summer scouting plans. Uh, not that there really were very many scouting plans, but you know, my normal routine is, is woefully messed up. And you, you and I were kind of talking about that. And I thought, you know what, if there's anybody who could come up with a really good game plan with, uh, what, uh, let's see, as we were recording this nine days before the season, it's Bo. Yeah. I actually, I think it's eight days. Is it eight uh, days? Yeah, it's eight days. Yeah. You're right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I was uh, I was talking to a guy today about this. I, t- I, I made the same comment to him. I said, man, I'm so far behind. I'm, and I'm actually taking away one of my scouting days Sunday to go help him uh, move some stuff on his property, uh, on his private, that uh, he's unable to do by himself. 
But I told him, I said, at this stage, I feel like the best thing I can do is grab my pack, saddle, bow, and just go into some areas that I, I know have produced in the past or have potential with trees and just walk until I find the hottest sign. And I've, I've had some pretty good luck doing that, um, especially on some of the public around here. There's so many persimmon trees. It's just finding the one that's dropping. Um, and it's it's kind of four years ago when, when the hurricane came through down here in the southwest, it it changed everything. Uh, I, I, I think I've told you before, I had over 40 persimmon trees that all produced in some capacity. And after the hurricane came through, I had one left. Um, it didn't, it, didn't it die last year? Oh, it, yeah. Well, no, I found a, that was the new one I found during big season, and it was dead uh, last year when I came back. I found another new one this year and another new one during pig season this past year. One of them's producing. The other one I haven't went to check. And at this stage, I think I'm just going to go in and throw a hunt because the way it sets up, it makes a good transition. So, and if it, if it looks bad, I'll just move closer to the transition and set up for that. You know, you got to have that, that 20 yards and in with that stick. So, it makes it a little bit easier um, to, to know whether or not <laughs> whether or not you should hunt both or none at that stage. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm going to put a lot of emphasis on uh, – on in on in season for sure this year and then i mean and i i think i feel double behind the gun because I got, I got drawn for iowa this year um and i am uh i'm putting a lot of, it's, it's it's probably gonna be the last trip my dad gets to go he's 60 he'll be 66 this year so four years to get the zone we're going it, it just it makes more sense for us to do kansas or ohio somewhere we could or maybe even illinois indiana where you don't really have to draw um every you know you got a better chance to draw every year so i'm putting a lot of emphasis to get him back in there and get him another deer so and uh, it's kind of funny he's uh I, I think i told you the story you know he he feels like he cost me a deer which he kind of did the last time we were there after he shot his so uh, he's, he's i'm gonna so you're, you're shooting first so i'm like yeah i'm gonna get to go back most likely let's uh let me just film you i'd much rather take some great pictures of, of old white beard behind a deer than my ugly mug there so it's uh it's been a ton man um and i, I my eyes hurt i've i'm pretty sure if my boss knew how much i've been staring at maps uh while i was at work he would uh he would want some of my paycheck back um on top of how much i'm already working but yeah it's uh it's been a mess. My, my wife actually made a comment the other night asking if I was texting another girlfriend. I turned my phone to her and had Hon X up, and I was like, no, I found this great <laughs> IHAP place. I'm, uh, it's, only, it's, only, it's only an hour and a half from where we're currently <laughs> planning to stay. I'm just trying to see if it's worth it. <laughs> so, That's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah, been a mess. Yeah, I think I think one of the, the biggest things, it, it, I think perhaps what may be the hardest thing uh, for hunters is in season scouting. The idea, especially the weekend warrior, uh, you get to hunt seven days a week. The rest of us have to do it on Saturday, Sunday with everybody else. And so it's one of those situations where I think it's very, very hard for people to take the time in season scouting because you feel like you should be hunting, right? I can't kill them if I'm not in that position. But if you if you talk to a lot of people, and this is something I really forced myself yet last year to do, if you talk to a lot of your killers, like the like the elite killers, the the one percenters of the world, and I would not deign to say I'm even remotely close to the upper fiftieth percentile, but if you talk to those one percenters, in season scouting is is perhaps the most important part of what they do. The 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 constant learning, the constant scouting your way into fresh sign, and 
I did that inadvertently last year when I stumbled upon a piece of public that didn't have a whole lot of pressure for a variety of reasons. I literally scrapped my entire game plan for the year and spent the month of November picking it apart and finding that fresh sign so that in December I could, you know, really make a solid moves on it when I thought I'd have a better opportunity with the rifle. And I feel like that's going to be kind of where you go with this. Now you have areas where you have history. And so the in-season scouting is different, but what does in-season scouting look like for Bo Lease uh, feeling like he's way behind? Um, acorns. I, 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 I've got the areas where I know where persimmons are that I've already found if I come across one, but I'm, I'm going to be looking for early dropping water oaks. Um, the WMA I hunt, has some white oaks uh that do get cut by squirrels it's the running joke with this wma is the moment white oaks drop is the moment it closes and it's there's nothing truer from the fact you can it opens up for small game hunting shortly after the bow season close or the muzzleloader season closes and if you walk it for pigs you'll see you'll see water oaks i mean white oaks dropping everywhere so you can find the early ones there but water oaks the early water oaks um that is that's where i'm at um and i I, i'm gonna something you said there a second ago about uh about taking time with the killers at scout i've had the uh, pleasure of of sharing several campsites with uh robert carter chris spike some of the the real killers here in georgia as i would call them with a trad gear and I, i don't remember which one of them said it around a fire one night but he made it they made a comment they had walked three miles that day uh a loop checking and they, they had the place we were at, they had 50 trees. They already knew were dropping. And they were talking to these five, but we can kill them right now. But they went and walked looking for more. And their response was, we could kill on those. Maybe. I'd rather have a tree. I know I can kill them. And, and they're, they're willing to, to put in that time to, to find the one. And to be honest with you, both of them killed, a, a, I mean, I would call a super respectful late point uh, the next two days while we were there uh, off of trees they found that were in the right spot. To produce the right things so that's something that stuck with me in that regard don't, don't be don't don't be content just because you see something that that may look good or or like i said i have history in certain areas if i get there if it looks good i'll throw a hunt but if, if it's not the right spot there, there's no need to stay there so I'm, I'm gonna put some boot leather in i'm gonna put my my pack on my back my bow in my hand and uh hopefully the wind somewhat in my face and uh, i'm gonna start walking some of these creek bottoms that are still standing and i'm gonna look for water oaks that are starting to drop early which there should be plenty well you know it's it's interesting you talk about the water oaks because i grew up you and i've talked about this offline for anybody who doesn't know uh there's like a handful of people that i talk to every day my wife chase the co-host Bo, and adam and parker adam cruz and parker mcdonald and like you guys get priority every day it seems like i touch base with you guys about a variety of things and one of the things we touched about um in the course of last year was that I realized how in demand water oaks can be. I was, I grew up avoiding water oaks and this may be specific um, to like maybe the deer that I grew up hunting, right? Maybe in that area, the preferred trees weren't water oaks, but as I have gone the last couple years thinking about preferred food trees, feed trees rather, and stuff like that, water oaks have really climbed up the totem pole in priority have you noticed that it really depends on the property or is that kind of a rule across the board 
I've, I've hunted, I've hunted where you grew up at, um, in East in Southeast Georgia, uh, Statesboro. Uh, I actually killed my first deer with a recurve in Statesboro, Georgia, um, on a travel corridor between a field and there were some water oaks in there. Now at the time I didn't know there were water oaks, to be honest with you. I, I had an, I, I knew there were oaks. We just, I called them red oaks back then. I didn't know enough to know the difference. And he come walking through at 12 o'clock and I, I ran an arrow through him. But, uh, I will say that I see it more in the southwest central area of Georgia, so southwest to central in the southern part. It doesn't matter which property I'm hunting, WMA, if there's water oaks dropping, I see deer on them. If they're, if it's the right set. And it is real funny. You can hear Warren Walmart talk about it all the time. And I, I mean, I hate to regurgitate stuff that people have probably already heard, but there are specific trees that they will hit. I mean, I've, I grew up on a WMA that had a duck impoundment that was almost four miles long. And you can walk that duck impoundment the third week of October and almost every tree is dropping acorns, but there might be five of them on that whole stretch that has deer crap under. And you put your stand there, you'll literally walk, walk deer. They may grab an acorn, but most of the time they're just shooting straight shot to that tree and they're coming to it and they're going to eat it until it's gone. And it's kind of weird. The one thing I've seen is you'll have a tree that'll drop a ton and then you'll have one that just drops a little bit and they may just like that little bit tree. So you might get two days at it or maybe three days at it and then it's done and then they're, they're moving on. So I've seen that and I'll say it's a, a, a good buddy of mine that actually hunt a bunch of these properties. He, he picks at me a, a ton because he's a big transition guy. Um, he, he wants, he wants transitions in pine flats and stuff and he picks on me for walking in the flats. But, the problem I have with transitions, like I said earlier, I, I need a deer inside 20 yards. Um, I, a, a transition doesn't do me a ton of good during early season because you can, you can climb a tree, you can watch a deer walk, and it may take this trail, and you, you move over to the next day, and it's not there. He may be where you were the day before, or he may be 30, 40 yards over. And a lot of that has to do with the browse that are in some of these pines on the edge of these transitions as well. So for me i'd much rather spend time walking looking for the water oaks that are that are hot that are right now and uh it's it, you you killed your deer i believe last year uh at the uh tether hunt you were at right underneath the water oak it was underneath uh yeah it was underneath the water yeah. oak. Mm-hmm. I, I remember listening to that podcast you were talking about you didn't put much emphasis and i was i was thinking as we said you know one of the guys i talked to every day i'm like does he, does he not listen to me? Does he just, am I, am I talking to a wall? I, I, I remember I was kind of smiling to myself and I listened. I was like, we're going to have a long talk about this. I, just, I, I, I felt like a dad watching his son miss a shortstop uh, grounder going, you know, we're, we get home. That's what we're going to do right there. <laughs> well, it was, it's just funny. And I think, I think genuinely what it is, uh, I, like if I'm being honest about the situation is I think I grew up observing a preference based on individual trees, not based on a body, a larger body of evidence. And so I went about my life with a confirmation bias that I had realized that I had thought I had realized that they don't prefer this kind of tree. They prefer this kind of tree because where I grew up, literally the property specifically that I hunted deer growing up, you could walk past water oaks and there would be acorns from year after year after year carpeted the ground underneath them. Now, if you found a live oak that was dropping an abundance of acorns, you bet your butt that they were underneath it. And that obviously just had something to do with the property because it's so different property to property. And and Warren came on the show and he said the same thing. He was like, listen, I walk past all of these different trees. I inventory all these different trees, and I'm just looking for that fresh sign. So one of my questions for you is uh, we talk about 
the in-season scouting, the amount of time you put into it. We had a Patreon member today uh, say, God, I hate the bumper crop years because there's just food for them everywhere. My immediate thought is that's true, but probably some of those trees are preferred. So during bumper crop years, are you relying on past discovery? Do you feel like the trees kind of bounce around or are there are a couple trees that every year they really like to gravitate, gravitate to? I, I, the, the place I was talking about the duck in town, I hunt every year. I, uh, I have three trees on there. I'll check every single year. The first day I get out, I, I do a four day hunt there. I'll check those three trees. Every time one of them is a mile walking to the swamp. If there's acorns on the ground, I'll hunt that tree immediately and I'll see a deer or I'll see a hawk without fail. Um, now with that said, where I'm at now, I see a lot different production of trees. Um, the, the same, the same trees produce, but it, it's almost like the deer don't like the same tree from year to year. It, it's kind of, it's kind of, and I don't know if that's a private land crop thing, um, or if that, and the deer just aren't that close to that tree when I'm there. Um, and I, I don't run a lot of cameras on public, so I can't, I, I don't have the answer to that one. And it is one that kind of, it bugs me a little bit. Now I'll say when I find a persimmon tree, Nine times out of ten, I'm gonna see if there if there is some if there's I have a three scat rule. If there's if there's three piles of poop underneath it, I'm gonna hunt it. If they're if they're somewhat fresh and there's three piles, I'm gonna hunt it. And I, I seem to have fairly good success with that. So I I get that. Uh, my lease I have a I have a water oak that drops every year. Um, a, a, unless unless there's a drought or you know something comes through that natural disaster, I have a water oak that has acorns on it in some capacity. There are deer there the third week of October. Now, there may not be the most deer there if it's not a great year, but there are deer there, and you can guarantee I'm going to be there, hoping that so my buck last year was actually killed off that tree. So to the so, people so to the people that say that you can't kill bucks off of feed trees, have you found a correlation to where that feed tree is and, and it mattering with that? Like, yes, are you finding yes. feed trees next to cover? Like, what are you going for here? I'm I'm finding I'm finding a feed tree next to cover. The the buck I killed on it last year, he he actually skirted around the side of the tree. There was three bucks in the bachelor group. The two small ones fed directly underneath me. Um, and I I filmed one of them. I actually ended up missing that buck later. And the, the the one that I let walk, I thought it was I had a uh, I had his twin. I guess is the best way to describe him. I missed him later in the year. Thank goodness. But uh, the buck that I was with actually skirted the tree to the downwind side, and he had formed a scrape there. And he was working a scrape when I shot him. So I, I believe what he was doing was the does were, that were there all morning feeding underneath that tree. I think he had a scrape back there. And he was trying to see if Lucy was getting ready to come in, which it was October 26th or 27th, I think. So we're right there at that stretch where it's getting right. But that, that area, you, you take a knee underneath that tree and at a deer's level, you can't, you can't see. It's, it's broom grass. The only part that's clean is that tree. And it's it, it, and it's clean because of me. I clean it out every year. Hmm. So let's go back to the scouting component of this. We're talking about how we feel like we're behind, and if we feel like we're behind, I think it's almost uh, difficult for us to ignore the fact that what we're saying is we have to check a lot of trees here. And so let's let's make the correlation here into. Um, how you go about marking your trees? How do you go about? Um, prioritizing the trees that you're checking postseason uh scouting to start with if, if i find a tree during while i'm pig hunting in january 
I'll mark it on Onyx if I find a persimmon tree, which, you know, in, in January and February, if, if nobody knows, that's the best time to find persimmon trees. They are, a swamp persimmon is the blackest tree in the world. You can look through a swamp in January and see forever, and you can see if you if you once you find one, you'll know what it looks like. I mean, it's literally it, it's just it looks like a burnt pine tree out there. I I pick it; it has big dogwood looking bark at times, but it is just dark as dark can be, and you can see them. And I'll go up to them and I'll look underneath them. I'll see if it looks like there's some old rooting. Uh, the only time pigs are actually a, a fortunate thing is for those persimmons because they'll go back and they'll root under. They'll do the same underwater oak trees a lot. Now. It may not be, it may be, you know, they rooted it up because it was the last thing left, but it gives me something to come back on. And so what I'll do is I'll have a stretch there where I'll have 10 or 12 trees marked and I'll go back through and I'll, I'll walk those and I'll check them off. One of them, you know, whichever one's hot, it doesn't matter if it's the first or the 12th, then that's the one I'm going to climb on. So let's go, let's talk about how you inventory your, your findings as you go. I think one of the interesting things to me is how you go about archiving the data that you find. This is something that every year I want to do better as, and actually, actually, to be completely honest, you turned me on to the journaling component and I have since passed this tradition on to numerous other individuals, um, during so, turkey season, you got me started on this during turkey season, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. Um. So I I actually keep two separate journals. Um. I, I keep a paper version of every deer I shoot. Um. I got I actually got one sitting here in front of me. Um. I I take and I put the day the the day the deer the deer was killed, the time I shot it, the temperature, the wind, the barometric pressure. I put the weight, the sex, and the weapon used. Um. And then I actually do a brief synopsis of what the deer did. And at the end of that, in highlighted, I put what the moon is. Um, and I, I'm not a I'm not a super big moon guy, but I can say I've killed more deer over a waning gibbous moon of some portion, either overhead or underneath, than any other moon face. I, I don't I can't tell you, I don't pay enough attention to the moon face. No, but I do keep that, and I will say I will take time to hunt. The other thing I do is while I'm in the stand, I uh, I use. Uh, one of the electron, I don't even know what, maybe hunt stands, something that has a journaling form. I used it, and I've been using it for years now. Every deer I see, I put in there immediately. Uh, and, and the reason I like it is because it drops my location there. So I can do it. You, you pull up my, even my private land looks like a, it looks like a disaster out there. It's like trying to find where's Waldo. Um, <laughs> but I have every deer that I've seen. Um, and it, it, it automatically gives me the time, the weather and everything. And what I like about that is I can actually go back and I can put that in a spreadsheet form. And that gives me the time, what, what was going on at that phase. Um, and then, you know, the other thing at my private land, we, uh, I require, I, 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 I'm the number two man out there, I guess you would call it. And one of the things I implemented, when we did it was I wanted everybody to bring their deer out of the woods. And this is from a man who cuts every deer up in the woods. So I have to start, I had to start doing it as well, which I, and I'm, I'm probably the biggest complainer out there uh, as far as dragging a deer out of the woods, but I make everybody bring the deer out of the woods, give me a live weight, take a picture of the head, whether it's a doe or a buck, give me an inside measurement um, and write it all down on a form with the date and their name. And selfishly, what it gives me a little bit of advantage of, I know where everyone's area is on the place. So I'm able to go back and look at where they're at. So in correlation to what time of year and where they killed their deer at, and this is the fifth year we've been doing it. And uh, I've actually, I, I, I told you the other day, I actually pulled some stats that were 
I'm actually going to post up on our wall up there. I've got a, a sheet I came up with of uh, our bunch of our averages and such. And uh, I'm curious to see how many folks actually look at it. But uh, it was pretty eye-opening to me as how much Acorn is actually playing. you got to think this is a super ag area. And it was just crazy to see the difference uh, of the, the correlations there um, of what changed, even to the point of when we killed our larger deer. Um, uh, and by large, our, our bigger horn deer and our larger body weight deer. How do you go about, before we start getting down this, this rabbit hole, when I envision trying to journal all of this information, I see something that just constantly update, like up, like changes as I go, like, ooh, I need to add this, ooh, I need to add that. How do you go about including all of this information? Like, do you have in, inconclusive or impartial, um, like, parts where you don't have data for things like how did you go about this um i'll be honest with you i i started out just when i killed a deer and it was actually my dad my dad made a comment one day we were we were sitting there um i was i was back from college we were we were having a beer father son time and he made a comment to me he said son how many deer have you killed in your life and i sat there and i started thinking and i'm doing math and i mean i was 20 got 21 20 22 somewhere in there and I'm doing the math in my head, and I said, oh, you know, I don't know, 20, 25, 30? And he goes, I, I have no idea, son. He said, every time I count them up, I come up with another one. <laughs> and I said, and I'm sitting there thinking, I was like, okay. I said, well, what if we write them down? And he kind of, he said, well, yeah, and, you know, we're sitting out on the back deck. You know, neither one of us went inside to write them down. Well, the next deer season rolled around. I was like, there's got to be a way to do this. So I sat down on a piece of paper, and I just went through and wrote down every deer. And then I turned the page over and I wrote down every deer again. And I had two extra, one or two extra deer. And then the third time I did it, I, I had one more than that. The fourth time I had the same number and I was like, okay, so this is where I'm at. My dad, he called me back and it took him a couple dozen times and he was still coming up with new deer. And he said, I'm just, I'm just, uh, he said, I know it's close to a hundred. That's all I know. And uh, he's, he's content with that. Well, I heard Warren Walmack make a comment about journaling. He said, you're only limited by your imagination. So I got <laughs> thinking about it, and I said, you know, if I if I add the date, if I add the time, and if I add the temperature, that would be good. But you know what? I only hunt, hunt certain stands on the wind. So what if I what if I add the wind in? And, and then I got thinking about it. Well, what, what if I'm hunting that stand? You're like, this stand's good on a northeast wind. Well, what if I'm hunting it on a north-northeast wind? Am I seeing more deer? Am I getting busted downwind more as if it's an east-northeast wind or just a straight northeast wind? And so I, I started kind of looking at that, and then I said, well, my dad's always been a big pressure guy. When the pressure's high, the deer are moving. So I said, well, I'll, I'll add that in there. I'll add the pressure in. And then, you, you you know, you read some Adam Hayes stuff about the red moon. You add the moon phase in there. So I said, well, I'll add the moon phase in there. And I, I just started slowly and meticulously adding it in there. And then, like I said, that app came along and I started doing it. And I said, okay, well, this is instantaneous. I can just, I can throw everything in here, you know, right now. And a, a lot of the smaller bugs that, you know, and I by small, smaller rack bugs that I didn't want to shoot, they were coming close enough. I was able to take pictures of them. Well, I could add that picture in there. And then the next year I could see that. Well, then you start incorporating that with your trail cameras. And I keep a, I keep folders every, I keep the last three years on my, on my current laptop. Um, the others go on my, um, my large jump drive, I mean, my uh, external hard drive, but I keep the last three years there and I'll go back and see, you can see correlations for bucks that make it through, which I, my, my place is, uh, it's, it's pretty ravaged by the gun hunters, but 
we have a couple bucks that make it through and you see the correlation of when they're hitting scrapes. I mean, it's within one or two days, they're hitting the same scrape or they're on the same dough or they're in the same spot. So then I started kind of putting some numbers together and I was like, okay, well, let's, let's keep up with that. So I started, my folders changed where I had the deer, I have the deer cataloged out in there. So I have, you know, buck a here, I had him two, you know, I had him as a two year old here. He's on this scrape December 7th. Well, he's there December 9th this year, same buck, a little bit bigger at three years old. Now, if he makes it to four, is he going to be there again? And, you know, things like that started to kind of, I, I want to say, I don't, I don't want to say like I, I guess evolved would be the word there. It just, it, it made sense to me to start trying to track some of that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm running, uh, I don't know, 13, 14 trail cameras right now. I, I might as well use it as opposed to, oh, there was a deer here a week ago. I mean, what good does that do me? Um, you know, it's next year, it's going to do me a lot better. Okay. He was here then. Well, maybe he'll be through or maybe another deer will be through. And I'm starting to see that more and more as I'm actually taking the time to put that into effect and actually like, like the, the waning crescent moon. I mean, I, I never mean, or waning gives, I mean, I would have never in a million years thought anything about that or crescent, not gives. I'm sorry. So it's, you can do as much as you want. I mean, you really, really can. And I, I don't think you can put too much detail. Um, well, I, I, really I just want don't. you to know, I had my deer, deer, my deer journal, my deer journal. Uh, God, I got Ben Hill County on that, didn't I? Um, mm, mm. <laughs> they told me how to count the potato real good there, so be careful. <laughs> Robbie's going to enjoy this one. Um, <laughs> yeah. I had my deer journal up uh, ready for you, and as you've been talking, I've been adding things, um, just, just different categories. And I'm going to go back because I've only got about, I think i got about 25 or 26 bow kills that I can recall. And I'm going to go back and try and fill in these information, uh, these things. And you know, some of it's subjective. What's the acorn crop that year? You know, I'm probably going to use like a one to 10 scale. You know, I mean, it, it, you come up I, with I'll, metrics as you can. I'll give you something that I, I honestly, you, you'll, oh, I guess you and everybody else listening to this will be the first people I've talked about. The, the other thing I do every year is uh, at the end of the season, when I go back to move all my, like, I move my paper stuff into a folder I take the last page and I write down what I learned that year. Um, and most of it's on notes in my phone. If I screwed up somewhere, I, I have that and I can pull that back up and look at what, what went wrong. Um, and uh, I, I, I got one sitting in front of this is from 2017, maybe no 2018 deer season. Uh, the number one thing I learned that year was pay more attention to blow downs as deer funnels when setting up. And that came about uh, from, from hunting public land. I set up on a blowdown and I set up on the wrong side of it. And the yep. deer literally, I watched the deer funnel at 35 yards all night and I couldn't shoot him with a stick. Yep. I went, once we had a hurricane come through, um, well, God, we've had one or two every year, but we had one come through before Michael that blew down trees in one of the WMAs that I hunted. And I was blown away, floored at how those deer used those blowdowns um for cover I'll, I'll give you the other one here that i actually capitalized on last year uh, uh 2018 was a uh, make time to drill more trees on private so i, I drill trees with woodpecker drill um to go back in with my saddle and hunt for quicker hunts mm -hmm. that year i drilled one because that was the year the hurricane came through actually um i went back in the following year and i think i drilled 20 something trees i think i only hunted maybe 10 up but i drilled over 20 trees so I, it, it's you know you, you can make a journal you can, you can write all this stuff down, how great it is, you know, and you can look back on it. Your kid will look back on it one day and say, gosh, dad was a great deer hunter. He was looking at all this. 
but if you don't put it to use, are you going to become a better deer hunter? Right. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to, to understand there is can I, can I do more um, with this data that I'm taking? I mean, data is great. I mean, that's my, my whole job I, is looking at data, you know, how I can make, how I can make Joe Bob more sober and how I can help more people. But it doesn't matter how much data I take. If I don't apply it and make a change to make the better, then it's, it's just data. It's just, it's just words and numbers sitting on a page. There's no, there's no help at that point. Mm-hmm. It, like I said, it'd be great. I mean, you know, Lord willing, one day my kid will look back and say, oh man, gosh, dad had some great adventures. I mean, this is wonderful. But I'd much rather him look back and, you know, look at 2016 where, and then turn around and look at 2030 and say, gosh, dad killed 10 bucks this year, all, you know, all over the country. And it's, it's unbelievable how much better he got. Right. So. Yeah, I, I could, I could see that for sure. I think you and I, we have very similar interests in that regard. One of the reasons why I film uh, you and I've talked about this. One of the reasons why I film is because uh, I want to document my adventures for my boy. You know, yep. I, before before he was even a real thought, that was something that I wanted to do. And uh, you know, by the time he's old enough to enjoy the, these things that you and I are doing, let's be real. You got ten years from the time they're born. You've got ten years. Well, you've already got a jump start doing this for multiple years. You don't even have a kid yet. I've got yep. I've got ten years of memories. Well, a little bit, little over ten ten years from the video standpoint uh, that are documented. He's going to be able to watch in perpetuity, assuming YouTube doesn't yank them down or something. You know, they're always going to be there for him to enjoy and learn from. And uh, I think the journaling is something that, when you introduced it to me from a turkey hunting perspective, I realized how advantageous it is going back and recognizing patterns. So one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation is because I think your journal, if you haven't already seen the connection, your journal is your gateway to the, to being unprepared and and fixing that. And I think when you, when you look at that situation, I felt unprepared going into Turkey season this year, I was able to identify patterns where the birds moved to, where they shifted to, because I journaled all that information. I was able to scroll through every day's hunt who, this was all handwritten. I'm going to convert it all to uh, an Excel spreadsheet here shortly. Um, but, uh, I was able to flip through that and see really interesting patterns. Things like there was about a six day cycle for the birds that I hunted where they started off kind of quiet, they peaked and they dropped. And it was almost a, a six day bell bell curve every single time with, with, with regardless where it didn't matter what the pressure was. It didn't seem like it didn't matter what the weather was. There seemed to be a six day cycle that they went through very predictably. And so what that tells you is if you go out there and you're not hearing anything, it's not indicative of a lack of birds or the maybe having moved you just might be in between those cycles and so you continue to journal and you continue to find new things and so if um, feed trees are something that you want to hone in on and I think I think anybody who overlooks feed trees as as an option altogether um, especially in the south is perhaps doing themselves a great injustice I know it's not the most popular thing for a lot of folks I think it's something you can do wrong I think there are definitely preferred trees that they're only going to hunt during the during the you know they're only going to feed at during the night but if you can go back and say, oh, man, it's got water acorns dropping every single year, and it's always got sign underneath it. I can count on that. You've got a chit in your hand. Now you can go straight to that tree, double-check that the, that the thing holds true, and you're not wandering the woods looking for it. I, I think you hit on the nail there. The, the only part I would say different is you and I agree in the part that you got to be able to put your boots on the ground. You, you've got to be willing to go out there and, and you're not sacrificing a hunt. You're, you're sacrificing a wasted hunt 
by going to look for a deer. I, there's no point. I mean, I could go sit five yards off the dirt road and say I'm deer hunting. And once a year, there, there may be the largest buck on that property might walk by there right in front of me and I might shoot and kill him and the whole world will say, oh my God, Bo, you're the greatest hunter in the world. How did you know he was going to come across there? I, I didn't. I just, I just, I just happened to sit there. And I, I think that's one of the sides. You're going to get as much out of anything, but more so you're going to get as much out of scouting as you are anything else. The more time you're willing to go out there and walk and look for the right spot the best spot the i've heard somebody say the spot in the spot that, that's so true um and, and i mean i and i i hate to toot the horn as the the trad guy but i mean i i have to find that i have to find that minute spot where that deer is going to walk right there um i used to trap a bunch i mean you, you gotta you gotta have a you gotta have an animal put his foot in on a two inch square that's that's what you gotta have I, I, it relates so much back to to that and why not be somewhere where the deer is actually coming to you I mean, you know, in Georgia, I mean, you just dump corn out and there's going to be a deer come by. It may not be the biggest buck in the world, but I mean, if you want to shoot, a, if you want to shoot a deer in Georgia on private land, you can dump a 50 pound bass corn out, sit 80 yards away with a rifle. Eventually you're going to shoot a doe or a small deer. I mean, something's going to come in there to eat. On public, we don't have that option. You've you got to be willing to go out there and find your corn tree, which in our case is an acorn tree, a persimmon tree. You've got to be willing to find it. And I, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you, and I'm looking at, I have three maps blown up on my wall here. One, one is Iowa, uh, a place up there, but two of them are the two WMAs I, I've hunted the most in my entire life. And, I mean, th they are tens of thousands of acres, both of them. And I stare at the map, and I see my pins where I've, years ago, I stuck in there so I could tell my wife I was at XYZ pin. And then I'd come home, and she was like, yeah, I saw your ring in there. And I was like, yeah, I wasn't even there. I was I was 20 miles away. You know, I was, I was, on, I was on a completely different property tonight. Something just told me, you know, I, I walked in the first area, it didn't look right, so I just moved somewhere else. So we kind of quit that and went that route. But that, that's the difference. So you you got to be willing to find the best, not not just something. You got to find the best. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think you you hit the nail on your head. You're not wasting a hunt. You're you're get you're eliminating a bad hunt. Um, and, and and don't get me wrong. I think at some point in time, there's the time there is a point in time where you simply have to start hunting. Um, and, and sometimes the sign is just universally underwhelming. There are tracts of property that are kind of like that. Um, you might not find, you know, a lot of people, they hear podcasts. I, I, I suspect this. I don't know. Um, I don't know this to be true, but I suspect this because this is something that happened to me. But um, if a lot of people probably hear these people talk about, oh, I walked in and I found a rub that was fresh and I found a scrape that was fresh and you could smell the urine and I sat up and I grunted and you came in and it's like, that might be the, that might be the hot sign. The hot sign also might be a fresh set of tracks going to a water oak where there's just a few acorns still hitting the ground, but the sign underneath is a bunch of tracks and some scat and there's adjacent cover and that's where you need to hunt. Maybe it's not overwhelming. Maybe it's, maybe it's a faint trail. I mean, a lot of your big buck killers, Brett Mashburn talks all the time about how some of his biggest deer come off of trails that are not beat down, that you have to really be looking to find them and that that buck is just kind of paralleling everybody. And so... Um, I, I like to look at it as I've got limited time in the woods and the rut is obviously going to be a peak opportunity to kill deer. And so I'm going to spend as much time as I can getting ready for the, the phases of the rut, which where we hunt, you and I hunt, it's, you know, there isn't like a one week time period, like a lot of the places it's kind of scattered. And so you have an opportunity there. And so I'm going to spend as much time as I can up into those, uh, those periods getting ready for that period. 
um, figuring out where that fresh sign is, where are they shifting, where are they eating on, where are they bedding, trying to put all these pieces together. Um, and then, you know, for that four-week window that I feel like I can really execute, I'm going to get in there and, and do it. And I did it successfully three different times last last year. Yeah. I, the, Not the to other, any crazy I, success. I didn't kill any Pope and Youngs, but I had three different opportunities where I put in way more time scouting than I did hunting, and I, I pulled the trigger on an animal. What, you, you ask anybody that, that hunt, well, I mean, you, you ask yourself, I mean, do you want to go just sit in a tree and play Tetris on your phone, or do you want to go sit in a tree and see deer all afternoon? Uh, no one likes the helpless feeling of wondering if they've made the right stands location, right? Like that lack of confidence. Everybody's yeah. been there before. It's terrible. It's why you can't sit yeah. still. It's why you get out the tree sooner. It's why you're moving and you get seen. Yep. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I would rather sit in the stand in September melting to death, thinking I'm going to kill a deer to have a deer come in from a direction. I didn't realize they were going to come from and blow at me and run off. At least then I knew I was in the game. Then, then to sit there and see deer feed 80 yards from me underneath another tree or see them go across a creek crossing 80, 90 yards from me, where I can't do anything about it. Th- that to me is the definition of just torture. I mean, agony seeing that I was, I was so close, but I'm not even, I'm not even really in the game. I'm, I'm not close. I, I seen them, you know, come home to my wife. Oh, I saw some deer night. She's like, Oh, great, honey. Great. You couldn't get a shot. No, I was on the wrong tree. She doesn't understand that, but I'm sitting here just kicking myself. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think I think that it's one of those situations, and it's not fun. You know, I went and hunted with Greg in southeast Georgia on public, on a piece of public I'd never been to before. I really didn't have any good intel in, and I hunted with Greg and, and, and my best friend Derek, and those guys hunted a lot. Now, they did a fair lot of scouting as well, but I got up in the tree stand. Um, I think we had four days to hunt. Day one, I went in blind somewhere and hunted and then got down and scouted. Day two, I scouted literally all day. I dropped Derek off, and I just kept scouting, and I kept bouncing around. I'm like, I just don't I don't feel confident here, and I'd go to the next spot, and I don't feel confident here. And I kept putting the pieces together in my mind. Um, and the uh, second to last hunt of the day, you know, I had the, the, the evening hunt, and then I had the, the following morning hunt. That evening, I had found I'd come back to this tree and I had all these hogs, you know, we talked about this, you know, the story and the listeners do too, but I find all these hogs and I see all this, the, the, you know, I hear the acorns raining from the tree, but there's nothing on the ground and it looks like turkeys have scratched everything back. And it's like, this was the best spot. This was it. You found it. You looked everywhere else. This is where you have to make your stand. And I had deer all over me. And realistically, I hunted two times in four days, maybe three times in four days just to kill that doe. Um, Sometimes that's what it is. But you said you hunted with how many other people were walking as much as you and how many of them killed a deer? I mean, not knocking them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not, but I'm I'm saying there. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't kill it. They didn't kill a deer. People feel like that, you know, I have four days to hunt. I should that in, you know, South Georgia or the Southeast mindset, that's eight hunts. You got four days to hunt. You have eight hunts if you're lucky. Maybe if you got there, if you're counting the day you got there, so you only have seven hunts. I, we, I mean, you beat the horse to death and anywhere you listen to now, everybody, all the, all the guys that are killing say, well, you know, really, you don't have eight hunts. You, you have a day of scouting, maybe two days of scouting before you actually know what you're doing. Never been there before. Now, I mean, I, I'm sure you, like I've, I've been talking about, I've been staring at maps. I mean, I have an idea of where I want to go, but I, you know, seeing topo lines and satellite imagery on is one thing, but until you actually put your feet there is, is completely, that, that's where it changes quite a bit. Um, when you look at that, I mean, and I, I I've, I've got now where I, I'm going on a hunt the second week, uh, 
of Georgia's postseason with some friends from back home up in North Georgia. Um, I, the only reason I – well, I, I said one reason I accept is because it's, it's, it's friends from high school, so I'll get to see them. But the same reason I'm actually going to – I say I don't want to say waste, but I'm, I'm going up there somewhere I've never been before. It's a, it's a mountainous place. I, I can see features on a map, so I can at least have a head start to get up there to to find some – something that looks favorable to at least pinch deer down, then I can find if there's feed tree or if I need to hunt something different up there, um, whether it just be, you know, crossings or so forth, but I'll have a place to start my scouting. And I, I think that's one thing that you see a lot of people mess up on. They just go out and walk. They're just, I'm just, I'm just going to walk until I find what I'm looking for. You don't want to do that during the in-season scouting. You don't want to just go walk for days. You, you want to have a plan. You want to have an idea of, I, I need to hit, you know, I need to hit this is SMZ. You need to think about what you're looking for when you go out there to scout while it's in season. Even if, especially if you're if you're taking your you know if you're putting your equipment on your back and you're going to walk in until you find a hot sign or you're going to walk until it starts. You got to have a starting spot. I mean, you you don't want to go walk a straight pine flat and say, okay, I'm just going to walk till I find something. I mean, everything's going to look good in there, especially down to where I'm at. I mean, you're going to see every briar branch has been eaten on. But you pick an SMZ, you, you pick something that has a, a transition to it. And then you have the hardwoods next, you know, you have the hardwoods there or you have the side, then you have a starting point and then you can, like you said, maybe you can find your trail, your faint trail. You can take it off. It's okay. Well, maybe he's bedding here. He's coming. Oh, look, you know, looky there, that, that tree looks like it's been paired underneath it. Let's walk over there and take a look at that. And then you can start putting the pieces together. You're, you're not, you're, you're still, the biggest thing starting in season scouting is to have a plan before you start. You can be woefully behind, but Everybody has 10 minutes to look at a map. I mean, there's so many software. There's so many apps and capabilities now that you can pull it up. I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm looking at these maps on the wall. I mean, I have, a, I have smaller versions of them from 20 years ago when we didn't have this capability. But, I mean, you can pull Google Earth on your laptop. I mean, while, while your wife's watching Grey's Anatomy, you can sit there and instead of crying when Denny died, you can find you somewhere to go take a walk at. I mean, it's there's there's a lot you can, you can do from your couch. Um, I've... I think people, everybody can find five minutes. I mean, that's, you got your phone. I mean, nobody, nobody, no male in America goes to the bathroom, and takes a poop without their phone. Don't, don't, don't sit there and play candy crush. Look at, look at on right. for 10 minutes. Right. See what's there. Um, I think, and, and I think, I think what you just said with a plan is huge. I think that is huge. When I, when I went to Southeast Georgia with uh, Derek um, I had I had friends in the area who had provided me, you know, a lot a lot of what you did, which was kind of like, you know, here's a blood trail, go figure it out. And so I, I think it was one of those things where it's like I had I had five to seven spots to hit, and Derek is, I'm not gonna say he's rough around the edges, but he's just he's new to hunting, right? And so the idea of the the why behind it, I was like, here's the spots I want to hit. Here's why. Do you see this? Do you see that? Yes. And so we hit all of those spots, um, and one of those seven spots was productive. But I had I narrowed it down. I had like these huge swaths. I'm like, I want to get here. I want to get there. I want to get here. And we actually found one spot, dude, and it was amazing. the 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 scrapes were some of the largest I have ever seen. And we're sitting there, and, and Derek's like, dude, this is really hot sign. This is what you're saying. This is what you're saying we should hunt. And maybe we should have because we didn't, and maybe there was a big buck there. I don't know. But it was one of those situations where it was like, where am I going to hunt? There, there's no good tree. There's no cover on the bottom. It was this wide open expanse. And so I walked away from hot sign. Um, you know, hot sign isn't everything. Where I ended up going, I had security cover next to a, a food tree, a feed tree, a preferred feed tree. I mean, that was just 
like night and day, uh, like connected everything. I told, I told Warren about that and he just kind of laughed. He's like, yeah, I mean, you put it together, do it again. You know, yep. um, I, that's, uh, he actually told me the same thing 15 years ago via email. Um, <laughs> when, it, it, it is a, it is a repeatable formula. That's, that's what makes hunting feed trees so great. It is repeatable. You, you can, if you're willing to take the time to walk, you can do it. You can do it consistently. It's, and, and the, the biggest problem people are going to run into is it's not, it's really not finding the trees. It is taking the time to, uh, find the actual, uh, spot to set up on. It's figuring out which way the deer are coming from. That's to me, that's where people mess up. That's where I still mess up constantly. Um, is, is, and a lot of times what I see is I see feed trees, feed trees produce better for me in the evenings a lot of times than they do the mornings, which the, the way I, I like to hunt early season is normally during that, that stretch is during the evenings. Now I will say if I find a hot peat tree and I hunt in the mornings, I have had more success at not getting busted. But where I run into in the evenings is, is as I do, I get busted. The deer come from a, a direction I wasn't expecting. Um, or they, or they try to circle the tree and they either AC me, uh, you know, trying to get them on film or, you know, then again, I mean, I, I'm 200 pounds of sexiness hanging from the tree there. And not all the ladies think it in the woods that it's that much enjoyable to see. So I, I do see that aspect. Um, I, I think that's where a lot of people, I, I don't think people have as much trouble finding it. Now they may not know what they find. That may be something that I'm, I'm, I may be giving people more credit as a whole, but, and, and I mean, I struggled at times too, like I said, but well, I mean, you look at you last year, you said, you know, it's haired up under here. When I heard you describe that on the podcast last year, I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's called a dream right there. I mean, that's, if, if it looks like it's been haired underneath that tree, I'm going to walk over there. If it's fresh, I'm going to climb it right away. If I find three piles of poop, I'm, I'm walking in the tree right there. I'll sit there till dark. I don't care if it's 11 o'clock. I'm, I'm going to hunt right there. Oh, I mean, there, there is going to be a critter come in there. Dude, the, I can tell you right now, I ever walk up to a tree that looks like that again, I'm never doubting it again. I could have 45 minutes left in, of shooting light. I'm climbing that daggum tree. Like I, I'll that, tell you this. I, I set one last year. Uh, it was, it's actually that one I was saying. It was about, it's right at a mile into the swamp. I walk down. It's, it's kind of an easy walk uh, to get to the swamp if, as long as it's not too wet on this piece of uh, public. But uh, it, last year was easy. I walked into the dark. I uh, It was kind of comical. I put three, I, I, well, anybody that finds it, I put a triangle of uh, bright eyes on the tree I'm going to hunt. That's the only thing I put on. I put them on a little above head height. That's the only mark I put. And then I have either have it in my GPS or I have it in my Onyx. And I followed breadcrumbs to the tree. Well, I walked in. I put these three in there like 10 years. Or well, I'll say one, two, three, four, five years ago. Five years ago. I put them in there. And uh I walked down in there and it's produced some, but it hasn't been the best. I walked in there and I could smell pigs when I got in there. Well, the first year I found it, that's how I found it. I smelled pigs and I walked over there and it was tore up. I smelled pigs. Walking down, I said, well, I'll just climb this tree. Before I even made it halfway up the tree, I heard pigs in the dark squealing. And I ended up missing a big boar that came in. And then 10 minutes later, um, after daylight, I had, I had a, a doe come in Then I, I told you about was the the fiasco deer that my buddy here in town still picks at me about as my my pin cushion of the year took a two deer two two days to kill but i, I did i did get it the first shot so uh we'll see but it, it's one of those things pigs and deer people say they run each other now the pigs will run the deer off but the pigs will come in and then the deer will come in it just because the pigs are there or have been there doesn't mean anything and i think people are somewhat scared or maybe misinformed about that um a, a hog does not ruin a spot now he will ruin the opportunity if a deer's already there 
but he's not going to ruin the spot just because he come in there. So I, I, growing up down here, honey, hogs so much. I mean, I, I, I don't mind. And, and pigs actually help you some, as you said a minute ago, the pigs you saw underneath that tree, they'll, they'll help you see a tree a little bit better. Um, now, I, like I said, I do want to see some deer tracks or deer scat, but nine times out of 10, if the pigs are taking the time to root it up, there's, there's deer coming in there. 100%. Yeah. I, I think, um, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know, man. I, deer and pigs have been in the same spot forever. I know people are like, oh, once de- once pigs get on a feeder or something. I think that's really what it is, is you have guys who are running feeders and a pig probably, they don't go very far from the feeder, especially if there's cover. And, you know, so the, the, every time they, they get an opportunity, they're running up there. I've never seen a pig and a hog inhabit the same space. But uh, you, you have something like a, a feed tree. I mean, those hogs were all through that area, but the deer were all through that area too. I mean, the, the deer sign was was abundant. I think one of the cool things, um, this is going to be a shameless plug. I make no apologies about it. Spartan Forge has got an app that's coming out. We're going to record with uh, Bill here soon and talk about a lot of the features. One of the things he's told me I could hype is the journal feature. Um, I, I cannot wait to use the to, to use it and as you know we continue to develop that feature it's going to be awesome we're in beta testing right now but we are um now equipped on our phone to have the ability to in real time jot down notes we get home um i use google drive just because it's cloud-based and you know if my phone craps the bed or my computer craps the bed i've got it right there in a excel exportable format um i can then transfer that information the following Monday at work when I don't want to be working, <laughs> you know, I can, I can move that information or I can scroll it and make patterns with it on my phone. Um, you know, as we're talking, I've got darn near 21 categories already lined up here, all things that might help identify trends. Um, you know, I, I can see myself coming up with a tab and when I find really hot feed trees that I'm going to have the opportunity to hunt every year, probably going to mark them. I'm probably going to mark them, and I'm probably going to go back to them. And and in inventory every year, did this have um, did this have acorns? Because some trees don't produce them every year. And, and the, the only uh, friendly amendment I'll make there is uh, put the date of of when you right. see a deer or when you see a tree dropping. Because I, I found they they drop pretty much the same time every year. Yeah. If if they're if they're going to drop that year, it's the same portion. And some trees do year. weird things, dude. I, my brother's got a white oak tree next to his house in North Georgia hand to god it is may it was legitimately may you know when i went turkey hunting with him mm-hmm. there were still acorns hitting the ground in abundance the tree was loaded with them um so you know i would have never thought that that was the case i never would have thought that that tree would be holding but here's i mean where does that tie in well if you have a place that the season runs to january and all the other trees are gone and you have a like a nut all tree that yeah. drops routinely in january i've I've killed deer under water oak trees in december uh i've actually killed them all the way up to the first of january um i've I've killed deer underneath and i've killed hogs underneath old trees scouting and stuff uh after deer season all the way into february now it's 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 a little rare those are some of those big years where we have floods and the floods recede but i've water oaks are that is one of the the greatest things about them is that they drop at all times. Mm-hmm. They start early and they go all the way through. So it, it's a, a good a good set of water oaks can treat you very very well. Sure, yeah, for sure. I I, I could see that. I found I found some areas uh, during turkey season where the ground was raked back really con- conspicuously. Not quite like a turkey, more like what I saw before. And so uh, I dropped pins and I plan on going back. 
Um, I've also found entire swaths of trees that don't produce at all, which is weird, but I do have entire swaths. Like a, there's about a 750 acre chunk of, of oaks. I have never seen an acorn drop in any of those trees in six years. Watch them because eventually that happened. Oh, uh, Warren's famous for talking about he, he killed, I, I don't know, several deer. It was, it was over five, I believe, under the same tree in one year, and it never produced again. No kidding never produced again. So it was one of the best seasons he'd ever had underneath the tree and it never <laughs> produced again as long as he had the property. So, that's I mean, it, it's one of those things that it, you, you go back and check them on and you just add them. I mean, that's, that's one of the great features with all these, these apps now, or, you know, I, my GPS that I, I used to carry, I, I transferred a lot of it to my phone now, but I still have it. And I carried a lot of times with me when we we're pig hunting because I mean, I have a, I have a 128 gig, you know, card in it. I can put as much as I want in there. It's never going to run out. Um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll hopefully be dead before I even get halfway there uh, trying to fill it up, but it's all those trees and I can go back and, you know, the, like, like this year I can grab that GPS and you know what? I haven't been down there. Well, let's, let's grab a stand. Let's walk down there to see and see if there's anything there. And if there's not, I mean, I come back to the truck and I'll just go home. I mean, that's, that's fine. If I walk till dark and there's nothing there, or if I get out in time and I can go back and go check another spot. I, I don't mind putting in the sweat and walking to find the right spot. That has been the hardest part for myself and probably anybody who does what we're talking about right now is the, the having the willingness to just simply walk home. And it it is something I remember calling Chase and being like, dude, I feel like such an idiot. I have an opportunity to hunt. I only get so many opportunities to hunt. But I'm going back to the truck because I only have an hour and a half left in the evening. I'm deep in this bottom. I haven't seen anything. He's like, dude, if there's no good sign there, don't waste your time. Go home early, cook dinner with Elena, hang out with her, and come up with a game plan for the next day. You know, well, you can you can always you can always use that opportunity, like you just said. You can build up and put in the bank the family time, so that I mean, and and to be honest, I mean, most of the time we're hunting feed trees is before the best time to be hunting. And almost, I, I use the feed tree time most of the time, mainly to, to try and fill my freezer for does. And and I mean, you're hunting, but then again, you, you just said the same thing. You you had a certain time to hunt. You were hunting. You were walking through the woods hunting, but you're there to kill. And those are very different things. P- people don't really understand that aspect or, or don't put two and two together. You're, you're hunting, but you're hunting for the kill. So why, why would you go sit somewhere that you don't expect to kill something at? Well, I, I guess the only argument is you never know, and I guess that's true. But if you consider yourself someone who understands what they're doing, or if you're trying to acquire a skill set where you can say, um, I, I have tested X, I have developed X pattern, and you're trying to, um, you're, you're trying hard to develop a, 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 a template that you can apply to other places. You have to stick to your guns. Like you have to, you know, you have to, you can still hunt that, make that sit if you want to, if you want to throw that time at it. I don't, I, I'm not going to do that personally, but I think it's one of those situations where I think you, you have to surrender to the fact that wherever you went that day, it's okay that you didn't find what you, what you were looking for. I, I heard it. I'm, I'm a big quote guy. Um, my wife makes fun of me all the time. Cause I'm always quoting stuff, but I, I heard something years ago and I don't remember exactly who said it. I, I know it was when I was in college, but that's mostly I. But the guy said, "If you're betting on luck, you're hoping not to fail," and that sticks with me a lot of times when people say, "You know, I just sat there. I was ho- I was hoping. I was hoping for the best." And I've done that. I mean, I, I spent years doing that, and I just it's I, 
it, there, there, there is nothing wrong with. I mean, if if you get one day a week to hunt and you just want to be in the woods, then then yeah, that's fine. That's great. During the rut, the, those are the people that are successful. I mean, to be honest with you, that's when they're most successful. There, I sat here because you know I saw a trail and a deer. You know, a buck walks by and they shoot it. I, it's it it's there, but I don't want to bet on luck. That I'm at a stage now where if I'm betting on luck, I'm I'm not. I'm not actually doing my part. I don't think. I mean, that, we we can be honest here. I mean, it's cheaper to buy buy food at the store. I mean, you know, you, you, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to say. You know, the the argument of I'm out here to feed my family for my part. I mean, it's it's probably cheaper at this stage in life with the way it is to hunt to just buy it at the store. So it, it's kind of hard to say that aspect. And if you're in the that boat where you actually are hunting for food then yeah, you don't want to put it up to luck. I mean, you, you want to, you only got a certain amount of time. You I mean, you're, you're costing yourself money the whole time you're there. You might as well be in the best spot where you can have the most success. Well, let's, let's do this. Uh, I feel like we've kind of belabored that as far as we can take it without, you know, coming off uh, kind of preachy, but one of the things we want, want to do, and I've got about 50 minutes of time to cover it is, and, and maybe we need to do a part two to this, but you and I were talking about the correlation between the deer size and the deer that you killed and your journal. Yeah. I, so I, like I told you, I, I had my, my members, um, I, I've got, I've got a, roughly 3000 acres and I've, I've got about 40 members, which sounds like a bunch, but roughly half of them hunt, if, if that makes sense. So it's, it's not, it's really not as bad as what it sounds like, but these guys are there every Saturday. Um, with their families and I mean they are hunting in their area and they got a gun and they're shooting now we, we have some size I mean we, we've got you know some 15 inch uh or well it's a four on one side I, I've been trying to implement 15 inch but nobody wants to go with it so we've got that but what I like I said earlier what I did was I, I started having them drag the deer out I wanted the life weight I wanted the sex of the deer I wanted the date they killed it and I wanted the inside spread and what I was looking at with those is we've been, I mean, I've been hunting this property for almost 20, oh God, I see I'm 35, see, yeah, 26 years, roughly, somewhere in there. Um, so I've, I've seen a lot of deer killed off there. I've seen a lot of great deer killed off there. And which, I mean, uh, the, uh, the, the Georgia state record was killed not very far from us there. Or no, the, the county record, I'm sorry, not the Georgia state, the county record for us was killed not very far from there. So uh, it, it's kind of interesting. But what I did see, um, was given that I, I have the ability to know where everyone hunts at, which is the, everybody, we, we have it up there. Everybody knows your, your set area. But as I was able to look back the years where we had great acorn crops, which on our property uh, over the last five years, the best acorn crops we've had have been 2018 and 2020. We had a decent crop in 2019, but it was real spotty. 2017, we had the hurricane come through and it blew every acorn off the tree, not to mention half the trees over. So if you, if you just take, let's just take the hurricane year there, uh, 2017, our average deer weight for that year was 124 pounds. That's off every deer we killed out of, I think we killed about 40 deer off the property that year, um, or 30, 30 deer off the property that year. So 124 pounds. You look at the next year, it was 150 pounds, 149 pounds, 150 pounds was the average weight there. And we had a bumper crop of acres. Now you gotta understand we're completely surrounded by ag. I've got a river. I mean, we have, uh, of our 3000 acres, uh, I think a hundred, a little over 150 or 200 acres of our ag. And that doesn't count the hundreds of acres of ag that butt up all the way around us. So I, like I said, I, 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting that with the acorns there. The other thing that was really interesting there, the years that we have acorns, you look at it, we have large bucks killed the last five days of the season, the 27th or of October, the 27th, the 28th, the 29th, the 30th, and 31st. We have, we have some of our larger bucks are killed right there. The same people are killing them every year. And their areas have water oaks in them that are dropping on those years. Now, the years that there's no acorns, we're looking at the middle of, the, of November, which is our rut, which is when everybody hunts. And even on the acorn years, that's still the, the second best is always that ninth through the 18th, which is our primary rut section. So what, what I've kind of done from this is I've, I've looked at it, and I, th I think I told you I, I didn't feel as bad about being so far behind out there. Even though I have so much knowledge of my private, we've killed one buck that was of any substantial size in January in five years out there. I mean, sorry, in, in, uh, in September, we've killed two bucks in January of any substantial size in five years. Every deer is killed either October, November, or early December. I have the, I actually have the latest buck killed out there in December of, of any size, and it was December twenty fourth, and it was the it was the it was the second largest buck killed that year, one hundred thirty or well one hundred twenty five inch ten point. Um, so what I'm seeing with the acorns though is that the years we have them, the deer are bigger, the fat on them is yellow. Uh, that's that's something people don't don't really know anymore. Um, but yellow fat means the deer's eating acorns. That used to be one of the, the big wise tales back in the day. If you go out in the Midwest, you know, you kill a deer, they got that yellow fat. I mean, that white fat on them out there. That, that's, that meat's better, which we now know the white fat is, you know, still just as bad. As somebody that processes their own deer, you leave a piece of yellow fat in your meat, you'll know it. It don't taste good at all. It, it, it's, it's acidic. It's tannic. It is not good. It is not good at all. But you know that deer's eating acorns. So... I, it's it's kind of interesting um and i it comes back to our how we started this today i mean not to not to bring it full circle but w what do i do with this at this stage um where where, where do i go i mean I, I'm, I'm looking at the dates here and i'll tell you my my game plan right now is uh, I'm i'm gonna follow the the eighth through the 16th I'm, I'm gonna do everything i can to be in the woods i'm gonna be in a corridor somewhere of November. I'm, I'm going to be there. I've been doing that the last few years, but I'm, I'm going to sell out this year if I'm not in Iowa, which I'm supposed to be. So it kind of, at, at this stage, I'm trying to do the math in my head and figure out, do I go put a bunch of cameras on these corridors and see if what I'm thinking is correct? So in 2022, when I'm here, I can go chase these deer or do I try and push the envelope and before I go to Iowa, you know, take an extra day or two off work and go try and catch an early, if we get a cold front and go chase, chase that a little bit. This is, this is going to be interesting, man. I, I could see how this could continue to grow, especially with the Spartan Forge app and, and, and the journaling features that are there. Technology being as easy as it is to create trends. I, I think we should touch base after this year and see what our journaling revealed. I think that would be a very fascinating podcast. Well, let's do that. Let's get back after the podcast or after the season and talk about what our journaling showed. But uh, until that time, man, I appreciate you taking time out your evening. Um, I've got to wrap this up and go put a baby to sleep. But uh, 
let's uh let, let's keep in touch as we always obviously do with the podcast share that information and dude we share deer camp this year so i appreciate uh, all the wisdom you've passed on and i can't wait to help you drag out a deer this year oh bud looking forward to getting you one I, I, we, we got a hunk of meat last year we're gonna get the whole deer this year right <laughs> we need to tell that story one day <laughs> all right buddy take care you too bud see you One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.